Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. Kenny and I recently were having a discussion about some friends of ours and the concept of being a fan of a particular team. Now, as you know, it is football season. If you if you did not know that, it is football season, right? Panthers are two and one in preseason. Of course, preseason doesn't matter. Yeah, sure it doesn't. But we were talking about what does it mean to be a fan, to be committed to something, even in the bad times when they're not winning. A lot of people are what we call fair weather fans. Your team's on top. Yay. They lose, even by one point, oh, shoot them, shoot the bombs, yeah, throw them out, kind of thing. So nobody seems to be in it for the long haul anymore. Have you noticed that about our culture? People don't sign up for the long haul. They're not in it from the beginning all the way to the end. Well, church is a lot like that, too. I'm going to fuss this morning. I don't often do fussing. But I've had some conversations recently with some people, and I've heard some really strange things said about church, about the body of Christ, and how people just don't want to be a part of it. So I'm going to fuss a little bit this morning. I'm I'm warning you now, if it's going to offend you, there's the door. It swings both ways. Oh, Tom's rubbing his face already. (laughs) Okay. Well, have you ever wondered what would happen if people were as intense about being in the body of Christ as they are about following their favorite football team? Amen. What if you heard these things? I'm going to give you a list of some because these are things I've heard in the past week about not coming to church and not being a part of activities that Christians, those boring people, do. But what would you say if you heard the exact same things in the context of going to a football game? Every time I went there, they asked for money. The people that I had to sit with didn't seem very friendly to me. The seats were hard and uncomfortable. I've been to football games. Well, the coach never came to see me. The referee made a decision that I just couldn't agree with. I was sitting with some hypocrites. They weren't really fans of the game. They just came to see who was there. Some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Well, that marching band played songs. I didn't didn't know those songs. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up, and I've read a book on sports, so I feel like I know more than the coaches do. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like the best. It breaks my heart. Because these things weren't said about a football game. They were said about going to church and being a part of the body of Christ. 
But you need to remember that in Exodus 3, God just lays out for Moses how his heart is broken for his children. Beautiful reading, by the way. Thank you. His heart is broken. His children are suffering. His people are suffering every day. And he has his plan to get them to this wonderful land where they can prosper and raise families and thrive and have fellowship one with another in safety. It's a beautiful picture that God paints for Moses there. And he says, and by the way, Moses, I picked you to go. Moses responds with excuses. You're asked to teach a class, and your excuses start. You're asked to serve in the nursery, and the excuses start. God put it in your heart to share your faith with a friend or a neighbor, and your excuses start. You're aware of somebody with a need that you could provide, and your excuses start. In fact, if you're asked to do just about anything for the Lord publicly, your excuses start. Oh, wait a minute, I'm talking to me. Excuse me, I meant to tell you that. I'm fussing at me. Because I'm too busy to do what God's asked me to do. During boot camp, my dad heard a really interesting little story that he shared with me as I was growing up about excuses. Sergeant had let some boys go on leave. They were supposed to be back before morning roll call. Right, and more morning roll calls around 7 a.m. And right about 6.58, 6.59, the first man struggled in. He said, I'm sorry, sir, but I had a date, and I, and I lost track of time, and I missed the bus coming back, and, and um, so then I hired a cab, uh, and halfway here, uh, the cab broke down, um, and I saw a farmhouse, and I persuaded a farmer to give me a horse, and I was riding the horse back, and the, and the horse died, and I had to walk the last 10 miles, and I just got here. Now, the sergeant just kind of looked at him like, what? Go on. And here comes the next one in. His story was, I, I, I missed the bus. And so I had to get a cab, and then the, the cab broke down, and there was this farmhouse, and so I persuaded the farmer to let me have one of his horses, and, but the horse died, and I had to walk the last 10 miles, so I just now got here, sir. And this went on, and this went on, and nine out of the 10 came in with the exact same story. Here comes the 10th fellow in, and the sergeant said, wait, let me guess, you missed the bus, you had to take a ta uh, taxi cab, which broke down, and then you got a farmer to give you a horse, and the horse died. He said, right? He said, no, sir, absolutely not. I, I, there weren't any more cabs to be had. So I started running, and I had to go through, I don't know, maybe close to a dozen dead horses I had to climb over. But, and, and I've been trying real hard to get here. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't. Some of them are full of dead horses. Now Moses had his reasons for responding the way that he did. 
And he thought he had really good reasons. They made absolute logical sense to him. And so now he's going to tell God. <laughs> Isn't that a cute phrase? He's going to tell God why he can't do what God wants him to do. How many times in my life have I told God why I can't do what he wants me to do? I know you, none of you have ever done that. But I'm really guilty of telling God over and over, no, sir, can't do that. And here's why. Number one excuse, verses 11 and 12. Who, me? Are you talking to me? It's kind of pitiful. He says, who am I that I should go talk to Pharaoh? I'm nobody. I'm the shepherd on the back side of the desert. Who, me? <coughs> Moses had tried delivering the children of Israel earlier. You remember that? Remember that part of the story 40 years ago? He saw the suffering. He saw the Hebrew children being in slavery, suffering in slavery and being mistreated and he killed an Egyptian and was under a death sentence and had to leave. He said, not me. Really, God? Are you serious? I've tried it one time. Ooh, ooh, why are you asking? Ooh. You ever given God a who me excuse? He believed that because he failed 40 years ago, he was going to fail this time. Sweet brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. People change. Circumstances change. You don't know what's happened in someone's life since the last time you tried. You just don't know. We think because maybe there's something terrible in the past that no one's going to believe or listen to what we say. But let me tell you something because I know the God of the universe and your past is redeemable. And the past is redeemable for everybody. It is redeemable. Things are not set in concrete in your past. You can be forgiven and you can forgive. Forty years ago, Moses was a hothead. A young man. Rash, impulsive. Now he's been seasoned 40 years in a hot desert tending smelly sheep. They're about as dumb as a fan. You ever know a fan goes this way? And then it goes this way? And then it goes this way? And it's hot back there. Fan's not going to turn around. God has an answer for this. You say who me? I say I will certainly be with you. Look at verse 12. I will certainly be with you. It doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. Quit looking at yourself and look at me. When we have doubts about ourselves, it's okay. I have a lot of doubts about me, even still today. I've closed out my career as an educator, and it still just reaffirms. I was, I was telling Pat and Blanche, I got such nice information and a nice message from a parent this past week who they came in, they started school, and they didn't know I wasn't going to be there. 
And the only reason she had her child in that school is because I was going to be their teacher. I still doubt me. But God put me in a place where I could touch children and nurture children. And now I have to trust him that he's not done with me yet. <clears throat> so here's excuse number two. We find that one in verse 13. Uh, by what authority do I speak? When I, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say that the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, what's his name? Uh, what do I tell them? Have you ever not known what to say to somebody about God, about Jesus, about his love, about his salvation? Have you ever not known what to say? Well, here's the answer. Okay, Moses, calm down for a minute. Here, here's what you say. He will give you the words that you need. But you have to trust him first. You have to trust that he will give you the right words. Here's what you said. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. I am who I am. Here's what I keep losing sight of. I don't know about you. This is my problem. I keep thinking it's about me. You ever thought it was about you? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about him. It's that simple. Good. It's that simple. It's not about me. Okay. So you want me and you're going to tell me what to say. Boom. Here's the next excuse. What if they don't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say the Lord God has not appeared to you? Can see God doing this. You think God gets frustrated with me? I know he does. I know he gets frustrated with me all the time. I don't know what to say about the Bible. I'm not. A, I'm not an expert. Uh, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Those are victory killer questions, folks. Those are faith-killing questions. What if? Excuses always will take us to second best. Moses was so concerned about what might happen, he didn't hear what God said would happen. So he gives him three proofs. First of all, turns the staff to a serpent and back again. That's pretty magical. Okay. Reach out your hand. But what happened there? Pick it up. It was a staff, now it's a snake. Reach out your hand, pick it up. Was that hard for Moses to do? If God ever asked me to pick up a snake, 
I don't know, I'll probably die of a heart attack. Y'all saw the way I reacted to that black snake when we had our cookout. I am terrified of snakes. I don't even look at pictures of them in books. I'm serious. In, in science, like in biology, when we would get to that, I would always be sick on that day if they had to do anything with snakes. Or in the in the in biology book, I would flip the page. I am terrified of snakes. But God did not ask Moses to do something that he couldn't do. And he already had the tools. Did Moses have a staff? Yeah, he was a he was a shepherd. He said, take something that you already have. God gave me music. God gave me music. And I have used it for him because that's what he gave me to use. God uses what we have. He never demands us to use something we don't have. What is your gift? What has he given you? Has he given you a loving heart? Has he given you medical skills? Has he given you carpentry skills? Has he given you counseling skills? Has he given you the gift of encouragement? He's given you something that you can use. You just have to choose to do it. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference. Okay. He gave me the proofs. Okay. Um, here's the next one. Excuse number four. But um, I, 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 I stutter and I'm not comfortable up, uh, talking in public, God. I don't talk so good. I, 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 I'm not a good public speaker. I, I really can't do that. Really quickly, for those of you who are fast with the pages, go over to Acts chapter 7. I bet you didn't know this was in here. Verse 22. This is Stephen. Right before they stoned him. This is what got Stephen killed. He mentions Moses. When Moses was living with the Egyptians. Everybody got it? Those of you who are going to turn to it? Let me read it. This is when he was, this was before he became enlightened about what the Egyptians were doing. This is right after the Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in, what's the next word? That means he could talk pretty good, right? If we're going to say it with a southern accent. He could talk. He, he was good with words. Don't ever lie to God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. God knows what you can do and what you can't do. And if you tell him you can't, he will make sure that you know that you can because he will put you in a situation that you might not like. And he will say, my child, if you're leaning on yourself, you're going to need to lean on me to get through this. And I have been there more than once. My granny would say he took the hickory switch to me. Now, my granny Campbell, 
talk about a country woman. In the mountains, Appalachian Mountains of Northern South Carolina, Western North Carolina, she didn't even know she was born in North or South Carolina. That's how far back in the woods she was. But she loved Jesus. And she would warn me and my cousins when we would we'd come to visit. She said, you think it's bad when I give you a hickory switching? Wait till God does. And she would warn us, you don't want God to come after you with a hickory switch. Now I know, and I had marks on my lips from when my granny would fight me for something. And I know how bad that hurt. And I said, I, I don't ever want God to do that to me. <laughs> Big words for a kid. But he's taken the hickory switch to me in a lot of times in my life because I have bucked up and said no. Excuse number five, verse 13, chapter four. Lord, can't somebody else do this? Send somebody else. Please send somebody else. Don't send me. Now, the first four excuses, God dealt with in a gentle way, didn't he? He reasoned with Moses. He said, but Moses, I'm going to do this. I'll be there in this situation. Moses, I'm going to be there in this situation. Moses, here's what you do. He gets to number five. Well, that's a full hand. Moses puts his foot down and tells God, no, you send somebody else. And then, chapter 14, I mean, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Out comes the hickory switch. This is the most scary verse in the Bible to me. What does it say? It says, the anger of the Lord... What's the Lord capable of? Stop and think. Spring. Was kindled against Moses. God will not always be patient with us. But it's up to us not to go there. If we are his children, which we claim to be. Right? Most of you in here would never say no or lie to your father. Those that I know, I, I feel confident about saying that. Some of you I don't know. And I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your father. It would never have occurred to me as a child to have lied to my daddy or to say no to my daddy. Not because my daddy was mean, because my daddy only spanked me one time in my life and I deserved it but because I loved him. And I knew it would hurt him. And I did not want him to be angry with me. How much more does it hurt me when I anger, when I make God be angry with me? You ever thought about that? That God gets angry, he's our father, and he can get angry with us? Four excuses were enough, but five? Mm-mm. Not going there with you. He loves us. He loves us with all the power that he has. But enough is enough. And when you have been on the side of God where he is taking you to task and putting you in the woodshed, 
It's not pleasant. We don't need somebody else to do what God is calling us to do. We need to do what he asked us to do because we love him or we say we love him. God provided Moses with a back door. He said, you've got a good brother there, Aaron. Aaron's kind of glib with the tongue. Aaron's a good speaker. I'll let him go with you. What were the consequences of Moses saying, send somebody else? Don't, I don't want to do it by myself. What were the consequences? Who made the golden calf? Aaron. Who, who said, well, uh, uh, Moses might not come back, so uh, we need to do something else other than what God wants us, Jehovah wants us to do? Aaron. Who made trouble for Moses with the, when he was older? Aaron. Second best is not what God wants. It's not what he wants. He wants us to give everything. God's perfect will is better for you than his permissive will. God will let you go your own way. He will. He has never forced anybody. But his perfect will is that we walk with him and trust him and do what he says out of love, not out of fear. So is it can't or is it won't in your life? It's a much easier thing to do that which God gives us to do than to face the responsibility and consequences of not doing it. I don't want anyone not to spend an eternity in heaven with Christ because of something I didn't do. I don't want that responsibility. I don't want there to be a mark against me because I kept my mouth shut. I don't want someone to say, if you had just shared your faith with me. I don't want that on my conscience. I don't want that to be a mark against me when I stand before my creator. Can't or want. God has a plan, but he never expects each one of us individually to carry it out. It is not my responsibility to save the world. That's good. That's really good. I'm glad. It's not my responsibility to save the world. But it's my responsibility to show Jesus' love to everybody who is in my circle. Everybody that I come in contact with, I need to walk like a child of the king. I need to show his love to everybody I come in contact with. That's my responsibility. I am not responsible, personally, I am not responsible for somebody in the middle of outer sublavnia. Now, do I support missions? Yes, if that is what the Lord has laid on. Yes. But when I go to the grocery store, 
and have an opportunity to say something nice to somebody and be pleasant to them and invite them to church or to a Bible study and I don't do it. That's God's not going to force me to do it. That's his permissive will. He's not going to force me to say anything. But the angels of heaven sing and rejoice and jump up and down every time I do. And that's a great picture. 